My mom inspired me in so many ways, and she would always tell me, you don't ever want to be a liability on anybody, including yourself. You want to be able to have options for yourself, and this is why I'm making sure that I can secure not just my future, but also teach you lessons to secure your own too. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, we continue the Courageous Money series with Bola Sukumbi from Clever Girl Finance. She says that if you're going to be clever with finances, it's time you create some alternatives. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to the Courageous Money series here at Redefining Wealth. If you're an OG listener or purpose chaser, you already know what's going on. Uh, This is one of those times of year where we really dig into some meaty financial topics. So I'm excited about that. But if you are new here, you don't know about us yet. And here's what you should know that this community believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We truly believe in the 12th century definition of wealth, which it says it's about the condition of well-being. And so we really focus on six pillars of wealth. If you've never heard them, I suggest you go to the site, patricewashington.com, click on start here and start to get yourself acclimated with the pillars. You'll notice that we speak in terms of pillars because these are all the parts of life that we don't recognize truly have an impact on how we relate to money. Now, you caught us at a great time, though, because gearing up for a new year, we are really talking about some of those conversations that we just have to be courageous about when it comes to doing well with our money. And so this is the third installment in a four-part series, and I am so excited to jump in and have you listen in on the conversation I had with Bola. Now, before I jump in to today's episode, I have to tell you that this one was brought to you by me. (laughs) Actually, it's brought to you by Purpose to Platform. We are now enrolling. So if you're starting to think about what's next for you when you leave your possibly high paying, but maybe unfulfilling job and have no clue of where to start to build a strong foundation, My business accelerator and mentorship program, Purpose to Platform, may be just what you need. This 20-week online adventure will get you clear on how to package your purpose, communicate your promise to your ideal audience, choose the best platform for your personality and lifestyle, and create a premium offer. You'll have accountability and support in a dynamic community so you can finally make progress and be ready before you even need to pull that trigger on what may no longer be serving you. So book a breakthrough call today at Purpose2Platform.com. That's Purpose, the number two, platform.com. And let's see if we're fit. Seats are limited and I'd love to serve you. Now, before we go in, let me formally introduce you to Bola. She's a certified financial education instructor, finance expert, author, and founder of Clever Girl Finance, a financial education platform and community for women empowering them to achieve financial wellness and live life on their own terms. Bola has been featured by several media outlets, including Time, Money Magazine, Forbes, Essence, Black Enterprise, ABC News, and so much more. Without further ado, here's my girl, Bola. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, Bola. 
Hey, Patrice, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to have you on. First of all, I have to tell you, thank you so much. I know that there are so many purpose chasers out there. That's what I call the people in my community. And there's so many out there where when they join, they're always like, Bola, Bola sent me. I heard you on Bola's podcast. (laughs) I love that. I love that as brown girls in this money space that we can support each other in that way. So now, you know, I'm going to have to tell on you, though. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So how did we get here, Bola? Because it was not because you just, you know, were like, hey, I'm launching a book. I had to stumble upon this on your Insta stories. I was like, well, wait a second. Bola has a book and she, what is going on? So shame on you. Oh my God, Patrice. Can I just say, I'm so sorry. Life has been (laughs) a whirlwind. Honestly, when you reached out to me and you were like, hey girl, where's the book? I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, honestly, like life has just been a whirlwind. But I have to tell you, Patrice, that coming into the personal finance space, starting Clever Girl Finance, you were one of the few people that opened their arms and embraced me coming to this space without any, just any airs, anything. And I love you for that. So I'm really sorry that this kind of went over my head, but you have the book now. We're talking now. I know we're talking now, but you know what I love for people to know that it it doesn't have to be about competition at all. No, no. Like we're complimentary. And I think that more women in particular, because they tend to say that we're the ones who don't know how to work together, which I don't think is true, but we need to see more examples of women who have platforms still supporting other women who have a similar platform. Like the, because the mentality that I couldn't put you on the show or I couldn't support, or I couldn't share the book would be come from a place of scarcity right? Like, oh my gosh, I don't. And as much as I hear people say, oh, I found you on Bola Show. I'm like, absolutely. I need some people over in your community saying, hey, I found you on Redefining Wealth. Like that's what we should do for each other because none of us have it all sold up and we all offer such unique perspectives and just based on our own experiences that it's our responsibility to share, I think, I feel like it's my responsibility, I should say, to share other great people in this space with the audience. So I'm honored to have you here. Yes, I agree 100%. And that is why I love you and I respect you for that reason. You are amazing, Patrice. Uh, Thank you. You are too, of course. So let's dig into this book. Now, let me tell you the first thing that stood out to me. Uh, The thing that I loved, and so I'm a nerd, so I'm not the type of person that just jumps to the first chapter. I read everything. Like I scan the table of contents, I read the dedication, I read the intro. I know I'm weird like that. But what stood out to me was the the, uh, dedication. You dedicated the book to your mom, Emily, who you called the original clever girl. And that just made me smile. Like it just, it made me so happy because so many of us come from backgrounds where we didn't learn anything really about money and the examples that we saw were not always the best. And so what I loved about, you know, that was that your mom was an example and I even love it more that she didn't, she wasn't the traditional example. Like she had a journey herself. So can you talk about how your mom, Emily, like was the example for you? Yeah. So my mom is so many things in my life. She's the inspiration for everything that I've done with Clever World Finance. And, you know, it goes back to just her upbringing. 
both of my parents come from backgrounds where, you know, formal education wasn't a thing for a variety of reasons that we can talk to or not talk about later. (laughs) But um, my mom came from a family that was very poor, um, you know, and they focused on putting her through undergrad, um, sorry, not undergrad, primary school and secondary school. And once she got out of secondary school, which is high school here, they were like, you know what, go figure out your life. We're done. This is all we can afford. And my mom's older brother had actually trained her. He had paid for that primary education and that high school education. And so my mom got married really young. She was 19 years old. She married a guy that was 30 something, which is my dad. And she married into the traditional setting of, I'm going to be the stay-at-home mom, raise the kids, and my husband's going to go out and work for the family. And so my mom went on to have four children. I'm the last. And as she got older and was going, getting, you know, matured in her marriage and moving from one country to another because of my dad's job, she started to see things that were happening with her friends that just made her feel very uncomfortable. Her friends were getting divorced with nowhere to go. Her friends, unfortunately, a couple of them lost their spouses and just had nothing. They had no idea about the financial matters or where things were. And my mom was like, I don't ever want this to be me. And I remember Mm -hmm. growing up, I would see my mom's friends come to our house with their suitcases and their kids to spend the night or to spend the week because they had nowhere else to go. The husband's family would come in and take over everything, or they wouldn't realize that their spouse had been in all this debt. It was just a mess. And so my mom decided that she was going to go to college after she had me. So at age 35 or so, 36, she takes her two, three-year-old toddler, which was me, and she enrolls in college. And I would sit with her in her college class, her college classes. And for my dad, this was just like a slap in the face. Like, what do you mean you're going to go to school? You're supposed to be taking care of my kids. Like, you know, it was all this back and forth. So in my household, there was a lot of arguing throughout the years when my mom going to college, when my mom getting a job, you know, she eventually became um, an investment banker. She wanted to get her undergrad and then a master's degree. And then she became this entrepreneur hustle queen, opening a bakery, open, opening a Coca-Cola franchise, opening a, a school and being the principal part-time where she hired other people to work there. And my dad just hated the idea of this working class woman, but she was in the space where she was like, I don't ever want to be in a, in a position where you and I don't work out and I'm left with nothing. That will never happen to me. So fast forward many years, my dad, lo and behold, goes through a financial downturn. He has to retire 15 years earlier than planned for health issues and other reasons. And my mom steps up and she's like, guess what? You hated it, but I'm going to have to step up and take care of this family. And just seeing that, you know, as a child growing up, watching my mom battle that, not just with my dad, but with her in-laws, so, you know, my grandmother, his sisters, all that, it made me realize how important it was to be able to stand on my own two feet. And my mom inspired me in so many ways. And she would always tell me, you don't ever want to be a liability on anybody, including yourself. You want to be able to have options for yourself. And this is why I do that. This is why I'm fighting back. This is why I'm making sure that I can secure not just my future, but also teach you lessons to secure your own too. Oh my gosh. You don't ever want to be a liability to anyone, including yourself. Yep. Come on, Mama Emily. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. I know in, even in my own marriage over the last 12 years, we've had ups and downs. And my husband has always said, I'm so grateful that you knew how to monetize your gifts, which is where that came from for me. Why, you know, in my books, I always have a section on earning more money because I really think it's important that whether you have the the option or the luxury, some would say, to not work or not, you should still know at least what you could do. 
If, if times ever got real, it's not time to be like, well, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Like, it's, it's really time to just activate that plan. I feel like that's in your back pocket. And we should say that your parents stayed married and we're like 50 year anniversary, right? (laughs) So so they are, they did their 40th year anniversary last year. So this year is 41. Um, They are still married. They bicker a lot, (laughs) but they love each other. (laughs) My dad got over it. (laughs) (laughs) I just want people to know we're not talking about breaking up families out there. We're just saying though. Just you know, mama, growing pains. Yeah, growing pains. <laughs> mama Emily had to put the smack down and 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 wonderfully so because she went on to be an example for you. And if I remember correctly, because she was able to contribute in the way that she did, you were able to go internationally to go to school. You were able to go to college in the first place and then do it internationally. Yeah. So at the time that, you know, my dad went through this downturn, it was about the time I was getting ready to go to college, my dad is like, listen, I cannot afford to send you to college. You're going to have to come and go to college in Nigeria. And at the time, Nigeria was going through a ton of economic, like just instability. Um, it was taking the average young adult seven, eight, nine years, even 10 years to get a college degree because there were strikes, union things, all kinds of issues. And my mom was like, you know what? I'm going to, I've been putting money aside for my retirement. You know, this is not you're right. This is not, I don't owe you this, but I'm going to pay for you to go to college. Mm -hmm. And you have two things you're going to do. You're going to figure out how to get some sort of partial scholarships, which I did get. And you're going to get good grades to make sure that this investment I'm making into your life (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) is worthwhile. And she did just that. My mom worked like crazy while I was in college to pay for plane tickets, to pay for, um, tuition to pay for books because she didn't want me to be in the space where I had to take on debt. And um, I did get the partial scholarship. And when I was in college, I actually failed a class. It was called Algorithms and Data Structures as a computer science major. It was the hardest class ever. (laughs) The only (laughs) class I ever failed. My GPA dropped to 3.4 because of that. And I couldn't tell her. And I came up with all kinds of excuses and different reasons that, oh, you know, I didn't take that many credits this year. I didn't because I knew if I told her that I failed that class, she would be so disappointed and so devastated. And so I took the class again and I passed it and I told her, hey, mom, this is what happened. But when it happened, I I couldn't tell her just because I knew what what was writing, like, you know, what it was writing on for her to, to, to sacrifice to pay for me to go to college in a different country, exchange rates. You know, yeah. at the expense of the things that she wanted to do for herself, at the expense of her retirement, um, college and American schools is not cheap <laughs> right? <laughs> at all, you know. So, yeah. Well, coincidentally, though, in college is where we do share something. Uh, when we were both in college, it looks like we got into a little credit card debt. Uh, I say I say little. Mine was $18,000, but it. mine also started with, a beautiful t-shirt on a table with a guy just going in the little uh kind of the courtyard area if you will at USC just pumping me up like you you want this t-shirt and I'm like yeah I want this t-shirt man I still have that t-shirt it's dingy and nasty it's like 20 something years old now I guess at this point I don't know but it's the t-shirt that started it all <laughs> 
<laughs> and what about you? You started with a T-shirt too. I think I may have left my T-shirt at that table because I was just so amazed that I was actually going to get, you know, credit card. <laughs> Mine was at the career fair in school. So I went to try to find a job. I was like, oh my God. Now that's here. foul. They are foul for that. It's, Not it's the credit card now. table at the career fair. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, I remember the first time I went, you know, because I moved from Europe to finish my, my university here and Credit cards was not something that I had been exposed to going to high school in Nigeria. It was not a credit-based society at the time. And so I didn't really, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand interest rates, anything. So the first time I went to the fair, I called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, guess what? You know, they said I could qualify for up to $2,500 if I get this credit card. And my mom was like, I'm here working. I'm (laughs) killing myself to send you to college. And you want to go and get a credit card. Like, what in your life do you need that you need to buy on credit? And I was like, you know what? This ain't going to work. So <laughs> I didn't go back. The next time I went to the fair, I was like, listen, my mom said, this is a bad idea. And they're like, your mom, come on, girl, you're grown. You don't, your mom doesn't need to know anything. You live on campus, right? Listen, tell us your campus address. We'll send all your statements straight to your campus address. You will never know. And I was like, oh my gosh, you'll never know. I signed, signed up. I qualified for $2,000. I think within a week or two, I went to like BB. I went to like, remember BB? I, yes. went to like, <laughs> I went to like, I don't know where I went, you know, got some extra bus passes, handed them out to my friends and I maxed it out. And like 30 something days later, I get a bill. And it was, it wasn't 2000. It was $2,000 times 24 0.99% and I almost had a heart attack. I was literally up for 24 hours because I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> so yeah. Bola, I you know why I'm cracking up? <laughs> Sound I familiar? Cracking up. Yes, because with my first credit card, let me tell you, I was on some like, you get a pizza, you get a pizza, <laughs> you hungry, I got you. You don't have a meal plan, girl. No worries. Like I was like, I I don't know who I thought I was. I don't know what I thought I was doing. All I figured out was if you pay the minimum, like you should be cool. So I thought as long as I was paying the first, it was like $10 and then it was like $22 or something. I'm like, girl, you working. You got that. Like I, I had, so then they gave me another credit card and then another. So by the time it was all over, I had five credit cards that totaled $18,000 and I didn't even know it. I didn't realize it because I don't know. They were from three of them were from the same bank. So I just got confused. I would just get the statement and pay the 20 something dollars and send it off. It wasn't until I was 22 years old that finally someone was like, well, how many credit cards do you have? And I was like, I think three. This is what I said. I think three. How much is it? Maybe 6,000. Girl, it was $18,000. And then it's when I knew you need to get your life in order. Because <laughs> you done bought, I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of pizza and meal plans <laughs> and gas and basic things. I wasn't a big shopper. I'm still not. It had nothing even to do with shopping. I was like doing basic things, everyday life, even though I worked full time. Oh, to go back in time. I know. I would, I would, I would flip that credit card table over <laughs> if I could go back in time <laughs> and say, sir, leave me alone. I don't want that T-shirt, that visor or that water bottle. With, the bank, with a bank logo on it. Where are you wearing that to? <laughs> Nowhere. What were we thinking? <laughs> Girl, we weren't. And your mom knew better. 
So one of the things that you talked about in the book was eliminating bad money habits. So we're kind of chuckling now to think about where we were 15, 18 years ago, however long that was for you. For me, it was about 18 years ago. But even even now, I know there's so many people in the audience who were like, okay, y'all chuckling. I just signed up for my first credit card. Or there's some other just things that I'm doing that I'm pretty sure are not supportive of the financial goals that I say I want to achieve. So you talked about eliminating bad money habits. Can you get into what your process kind of was for that? And how do we identify bad money habits? Great question, Patrice. And bad money habits is something that everybody has one of them. It might be something really small, like spending all that money on coffee that you don't feel great about, just random example, or it could be something major. And for me, I love to spend money, right? I am a spender. And really? Yes, I am a spender. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't tell, huh? (laughs) (laughs) However, one of the things I recognize when it comes to like money habits is really understanding what my triggers were or are, and also making it as inconvenient for myself to continue to maintain those habits, right? So for instance, let's say every time I drive by a particular restaurant, I just have to stop because their baked goods are just so amazing. This is just a random example. (laughs) And, you know, after I look at my transactions, when I'm working on my budget, I realize that, wait, for the last 30 days, I've gone to this place 30 times. First of all, (laughs) I'm out of my mind. Second of all, what happened, right? So I start to process it. I woke up in the morning, didn't eat breakfast, drove by the place. The smells called me in. I went in and I spent. So the trigger was the fact that number one, I was hungry. Number two was on my route. So it was convenient. So what could I do to break that habit? Number one, eat breakfast. Number two, find a different route, right? So that I'm not Mm -hmm. tempted. Number three, don't pack enough change to go in there and spend or put exactly how much I need in my bank account. That way, even if I want to stop there, I can't because girl, you can't afford it. When it comes to bad money habits, you want to basically start by assessing what is the trigger, what's causing you to continue to exhibit this habit, right? And if you don't know what your bad money habits are, if you're like, okay, well, I just think I overspend, I'm not sure, go back and look at your transactions in the last three months. If you're spending a lot in cash, every time you spend, just make a note in a notebook or on your phone of what you bought and look over those transactions at the end of the month. And you'll start to see, identify those areas of spending. And once you're able to trigger, once you're able to determine what that trigger is that caused you to spend, then you can start to create a plan for yourself. A lot of people will say, I have bad money habits, but they haven't really identified what causes them to act on those habits, right? And it's not just Mm -hmm. things. It's Sometimes it's people. It's people you're spending your time with, people you're talking to, people you're hanging around with. So that's really important. And then for me, like I said, I make it really inconvenient for myself to deviate from my plan so that I don't allow those money habits to take over me. So for instance, let's say, you know, I drive by the mall and I'm like, oh my God, there's a Chanel store in that mall. I want to buy a handbag. First of all, look at my bank account. There's about $3 there because I paid all my bills. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be a no. That would be a hard pass on Chanel. (laughs) I'm definitely not calling up my brokerage to say, oh, my God, can you charge me this fee and, you know, sell these investments and take 10 days to transfer me the money so I can go back, drive back 25 miles to that store to buy that. Like by the time I get to that point, I'm over it. Mm -hmm. So what can you do to make it as inconvenient for yourself to break your your plan? 
to continue to act on your bad money habits. So you have to identify the triggers. Number two, put a plan in place and make it hard for yourself to break that plan. And one of the things you talked about too is creating an alternative. So I know you used initially the coffee example, and this was a real one for me because I wrote my books in Starbucks. Like Mm -hmm. that's where I would go to focus. Ironically, I need people moving around so I could hone in on what I'm doing, right? (laughs) So I would go to Starbucks to write my books, but then like when I'm not in book writing season, I would still find myself craving that white chocolate mocha. And (laughs) don't do it. Don't do it. Don't listen. Don't let me give you a bad money habit. Okay. But so, you know, I would find that for months after I was done with the book writing process that whenever I saw the particular Starbucks, there were like two or three around the city that I really liked to go to when I was writing. When I saw them, I was like, let me go in here. Right. Because, you know, we're creatures of habit. So we take the Mm -hmm. same routes. And an alternative that I ended up finding, though, was in Walmart one day, I saw that they had the box of the Keurigs. And I was like, oh, I got a really beautiful pearl white Keurig that never gets used. Um, And it had like a box of 10 or 16 of them or something. And I was like, well, let me just try. And so then when I knew I was going to be taking those routes, I would just make it at home myself. And then they came out with this white chocolate mocha creamer, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And that creamer is $4. So now I buy this box for like $14. I get the creamer. It's like $4. Now I've spent 18 versus $5 a cup of coffee, right? And for for however many drinks I would get in a month. And so I created my alternative. Just make my coffee before I go, if that's what I want to do. And so when I'm driving by, I'm also not tempted because we know it's not just the coffee, you know, if it's fall, I'm going to have to get the pumpkin scone. And <laughs> if I didn't eat breakfast, like you said, I'm going to try to grab something else. So it's never just the coffee, but the coffee is that, that like you said, the smells or what, the nostalgia that you have in your mind and all this of it. Um, and so creating that alternative was really good. And then you said in with a reward, yes. which I thought was genius. Yeah. So I operate on a reward basis. Um, and it's basically, I know what my goals are, right? And even though I'm a spender, I'm also a saver. It's kind of crazy to to be both at the same time, but I get excited to save money and see my account grow, but I also like nice things. So it's kind of like this weird combination. But as a result, I reward myself when I achieve financial goals and I reward myself within reason. Like the reward has to make sense according to the goal, right? So if the goal was to save $500 for something, I can't go spend (laughs) (laughs) $5,000 on a family vacation because that just doesn't make any sense. I can spend $25 getting my nails done, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that is in a percentage, but even that. So, but anyway, the reward system is basically you have your goals and these are the things that you really want to achieve. And you challenge yourself that if, if I achieve this one thing, then I can do this one thing that makes sense and doesn't set me or doesn't deviate me off of the path of the other goals I want to achieve. And that works really well for me because it's almost like guilt-free, right? I can do the thing I want to do guilt-free because I know that the things I wanted to do that I was planning to do, I actually got them done. And so the one thing that I will stress when it comes to the reward system is that it has to be within reason. Like I just, that example I just gave, because Mm -hmm. if you get into this whole idea of I deserve it, I deserve it, I deserve it, we all deserve everything all the time. And then it kind of, defeats the purpose of leveraging rewards, right? As you pursue your right. goals. You're so right. You can't, 
Yeah. It's like when people, <laughs> I'm thinking about like when people get a raise and then they just completely raise their standard of living. And so now you're back in the same yeah. place. Like it was like, you never got a raise to begin with. If you get, you know, a raise that might equate to another $5,000 a month, but then you go rent some bigger place that now has an additional $800 a month of expenses. You really didn't, you didn't help solve anything. Right. So I get what you're saying. Do it within reason. Speaking of you being a saver. uh, I know when I first met you or heard about you, one of the big things I heard, I would say the, in air quotes, the claim, the fame was that you saved a hundred thousand dollars in three and a half years, which is incredible. And so I know when people hear that though, they're like, "Mm, mm." (laughs) first of all, hundred thousand dollars. But I love what I loved about how you broke down how you actually did it was it wasn't all about what your income was. There were other things that you did very intentionally to make that happen. So can you kind of share some of that story? What was that the goal? The goal was to save a hundred thousand dollars or did it just pan out that way? And then what did you do intentionally to get there? So the goal was to challenge myself to save as much as possible. And as I got closer to, you know, six figures, I was like, wait a minute, I can save $100,000 or more. Just to add a little bit of color, you know, that is the claim to to fame story. And I've gotten a lot of feedback around, oh, this was amazing. And oh my God, who do you think you are? And I remember when I first started Clever Well Finance, you know, my, my saving story is something that I had shared with my friends as I was saving, right? So a lot of my friends knew that, okay, Bola is saving money. I had a coworker who were, were really good friends today, and we would talk about like saving during that time. And when it came time to write about it for Clever Well Finance, or even to talk about it, I just, I carried so much like fear at the time because I didn't want people to judge me for what I had accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the story out there. When I did, I got the judgment, all kinds of judgment. And it's just crazy, you know, that, <laughs> you know, you talk about somebody like me who spent three, over three years saving $100,000 and people get mad at me because who do I think I am? Because my mom paid for college because I'm privileged because of all these things. But then we flip the coin and we see the latest celebrity that spends $100,000 within two hours buying some bling bling. And then we all go queue up and buy their tickets and we celebrate them, right? <laughs> and I just find it insane. We're a peculiar society. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah. Yes, I did save that money. It was, you know, like I said, coming out of college, knowing what my parents had given up, you know, and and in the book, and even when I talk about it, I make it seem light, but I know where I come from. And there's a lot of complexities in my family. My parents happen to be the two most, two most successful people on either side of their families because of education, right? My dad has a twin sister who's not formally educated. My aunt doesn't speak any English. Um, She didn't go to school. She didn't go to primary school. She didn't go to high school. She didn't go to, she doesn't have any of that, right? Because my grandfather did not believe in educating the female child. My dad started first grade when he was 13 years old. And so I know where I come from. I know what the background I came from, right? My mom, when she was born, my her her parents expected her to die because my grandmother had had multiple miscarriages and they never actually named her when she was born. To so that name, Emily, you know, that I put in the book, mm-hmm. was a name that she picked out of a basket when it was time for her to start first grade. And her brother was like, what are we going to call you in school? And he wrote down a couple of names and he put it in a little basket or cup and she picked one and he was like, okay, well, your name is Emily. We're going to sign you up for first grade. So wow. knowing all of that, knowing all of that, 
I came out of college, getting that job in New York City, earning $54,000. To me, that was just, oh my God, I have so much money. I have to make my parents proud. There was no question about it. There was no debate about it. I knew how much my mom had spent to send me to college. I knew what she had sacrificed. I knew the the arguments that my parents were having about finances, how hard it was. Um, Our our family downgraded, you know, when my dad had to retire from like a big house to like a tiny little apartment in just a random neighborhood. And so I knew all of that. And so that was the incentive. I want to make my parents proud. I want to show them that I wasn't a waste of effort, a waste of sacrifice. Um, so I started saving, figuring out how to save money. I, you know, learned about 401k at work. They said free money. I was like, I'm on it. Um, <laughs> I saved my raises. <laughs> you know, I started a side hustle, you know, with this one coworker of mine. I went to her wedding and her photographer came late and I happened to have a, a camera and I took, she's like, take some pictures. And I took some pictures and she liked it. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do this as a side thing and I can put something on Craigslist and have people hire me. Um, I started to learn how to invest. I bought a finance book and I read the book to shreds and I bought another one. And I just basically put my head all into figuring out how to grow my money. Like, like you mentioned, you know, I, I focused on the, the money I was earning at work, but I also focused on earning more through my side hustle, through my photography business, through learning how to invest. And Again, the story sounds like, yeah, la, 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 that girl who her mom paid for college, saved a hundred grand. Yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> but going through the motions of it was really hard, right? There were things I couldn't do. I had friends who were working on Wall Street. Your listeners who are in New York, New York, you can get really carried away in that city. And I chose not to live in New York City. So I lived in New Jersey. I was commuting in. And also... I said a no to a lot of things. So I didn't really have that many friends coming out of college and, you know, coming to New York City because I just didn't want to hang out and spend money on drinks at the bar. I couldn't afford at the time because I was saving to go do all the shopping things. And my friends were making more money than me. I had friends who their annual bonus was twice my annual salary. But I just had to keep my head in the game because those people were not saving. They were not paying their student loans. They I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say, you know what? That annual bonus could be twice your salary, but yep. if they didn't have the right mindset and skill set, they were probably deferring their student loans if they yep. had any, going out, not saying no, saying yes to everything, living in the expensive apartment. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you started out. Three and a half years later, I bet the majority of them could not say they had $100,000 saved, and that even the though they made whatever they made. Exactly. So that's, that's, the, that's the story, you know, the highlights of saving the 100K, you know, and when people tell me that you're privileged, that's why you could do it. Your mom could pay for your college. That's why you could do it. You know, my response is that privilege is given, right? But it's not always valued. Mm-hmm. I can give a child, right? I have two kids. I can give them a million dollars. And if I haven't taught them values, if I haven't taught them to be good people, to be responsible people, if they themselves do not care, they will squander everything I've given to them and come out on the other side with nothing, mm-hmm. right? So even though privilege is is given, it doesn't mean that because you have it, you're automatically positioned to be all these things. It gives you the opportunity to to do more, but at the same time, people have to understand that just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean that everybody takes advantage of it. And I was determined to take advantage of the opportunity that I got because I know what it cost. It came on the backs mm-hmm. of my mother and my father and on the backs of my, you know, the people that raised them and everything they had gone through. So, yeah. Yeah. The backs of your ancestors. Yeah. For sure. 
You know, I feel a lot of that responsibility as well. I just saw something the other day uh, that reminded me of my grandmother who who basically helped raise me. And my grandmother came here uh, to this country illiterate. You know, my grandmother was basically a functioning illiterate and or functionally, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say. But so my grandmother didn't even have a first or second grade education. And she only read the Bible and pretty much because she had kind of memorized certain scriptures and how to get there. And so when I look at the opportunities that were given to me and the fact that I could turn around and now be, you know, getting ready to put out my fifth book, like I stand on her shoulders. I stand on, on, on those shoulders of those who came before me. And how dare I not at least try? Like, who are you not to? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't imagine to your point, squandering that opportunity. And you know what? I have to say this too, because, you know, I'm really big into financial psychology and one of, in in a course I took um, for my certification, one of the things that we unpacked were the assumptions that people make about the wealthy. Mm -hmm. And one of those, the main things is, well, they were born into money or they, you know, born with a silver spoon or privileged or all of these things. And the truth is the average self-made millionaire was actually not born into money at all um, and really didn't even make as much money as many of the people who were, who had taken the survey and who were complaining about these people. And it's amazing how we can make excuses in order to explain away our own behavior. Because at the end of the day, we can choose to say no. We can choose to say, I really want to put towards, you know, save a certain amount of my income. And, and listen, I know about the disparities and I, I get all of that. My family's from a third world country. I get it. But many of the people who are listening to this podcast at this very moment, you have had opportunities to say no to going to the bar. You have had opportunities to say no to many things that impact your finances. And you've also had the opportunity to say yes to those gifts and talents that you could turn around into a side hustle and add some additional money. Many of you have said no to enrolling in your company's 401k. Mm -hmm. So before we can point the finger and call anyone privileged, we also have to point the finger back at ourselves and look at ourselves and go, well, what could I have done? And what can I do now? So I can turn this around and start moving forward because it's so easy. It really is easy. I'm tickled sometimes at the number of people who are like, it's easy for you to say. (laughs) It is, you know, (laughs) I I, I, I slept on the floor, slept on my brother's couch for three months away from my husband. Like there's a lot of things that happen. Don't tell me what's easy. Patrice, you rebuilt your life. This my first encounter with you was on Periscope, right? When mm-hmm. I first you rebuilt your life from losing everything, right? You know, and I think people people forget to pause and say, "Let me see where this person is coming from. Let me understand what this person's background is." Just because you see someone amazing and they have all these things going from them doesn't mean that they just had it handed to them. And your story is a classic example of that. You know, and 
when people, I, I don't know, it just, I feel so many things like people are quick to point the figure. People are quick to make comments, but these are the same people that if you ask them what their dreams and goals are, the same privilege that they're angry at other people for having without knowing those people's backstory is the same privilege that they're dreaming of having for themselves or at least working for to have for their children. And so a better use of energy, of effort, of emotions, a better way to channel those emotions as opposed to like doubting and spending time being angry and making negative comments and talking and all these different things. How about you take what you can use, the small nuggets you can use from every person that, you know, you see out there that's like, oh my God, this person has done this thing. Throw the rest away, take those nuggets. And like you said, apply it to the things that you know you should be doing that you're currently saying no to. Mm-hmm. Throw the rest away. I like that. You don't have to, you don't have to, they don't have to relate to your story. You don't have to relate to my story, but I guarantee you that every story they hear, yours, mine, every, you know, all the other people in the personal finance community, because what's also great about this, right? When people say it's easy for for you to say the reason why you can say it's easy is because our stories are not unique there are people who have made a decision to say yes to themselves and they've gone out to do it there are thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people who have made conscious decisions to improve their lives so take what you can relate to the little things we we both live in new york okay she could save 100 grand in new york maybe i can do it too and then find the next person take their nuggets and apply it to your life that is so important don't waste your energy about, oh, I don't like Bola. She has short hair. I don't like Bola. I love that. <laughs> oh, no. My favorite. So one of my favorite trolls of all time was a man who said, how dare I be teaching people anything about personal finance when I wear a weave? I was like... <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Right? So I don't always answer trolls, but Bola... Girl, I had to take a step back. I was like, today, I dead. <laughs> today I got time. And I said, okay, well, if you don't want to receive the message because the messenger wears a weave, I want to direct you to some of my natural haired sisters, um, like Tiffany Aliche, the budgetista, or Tanya Rapley, or um, Marsha Horton Barnes. I was like, I'm going to get you help. I don't care that you don't want to hear it from me because I have a weave my brother. (laughs) But so here's, (laughs) I cannot, here's a few people that can help you. Like, uh, that's fine. That's why there's so much variety, right? Right. You may like Hunt's ketchup. Somebody else may like Heinz. Thank God they're both on the shelf. Go get you some, whichever one you want is there for you. And so to your point, if you can't receive the message because you are too caught up in the messenger story, still take the message of what they've been able to create and go find someone else that you feel like is a better guide for you. That is completely okay. But don't make an excuse about why you can't move forward because at the end of the day, it's it's just not true. It's a story that we tell ourselves and something that you say in the book is too, it's about the people we surround ourselves with. I, I remember in the book, you talked about shifting your, your circle of influence. Yes. And that the people and the things that you surround yourself with, like what you read, what you listen to, you know, who you're around, they just have a strong impact on your finances. Can you just talk about that real quick and then we'll start closing up? But that was that was really key because I think that 
what keeps people stuck is being around people who have that exact same mentality. And now you guys are gathering where two or three are gathered and you, you put an energy on the wrong thing as opposed to being around folks who can actually help you make progress the way you say you want to make it. Yeah. And then it's a woe is me pity party. I cannot, we cannot, let's not, you know, that type of thing. And whether you believe it or not in your conscious, in your inner spirit, the people you surround yourself with have an effect on you, right? Because when you feel like you can't do something and everyone around you is telling you, I can't, when you feel like what you're doing is just enough because everyone around you is not doing just as much, it's tied to who you're hanging around with, right? And you could love those people to death. It could be your closest people to you. But just because someone is so close to you doesn't mean that they're the best person to give you advice or that they're the best person that you should allow to influence you, right? So random example is if you're in a position where you're trying to work on your marriage, right? You're trying to grow your relationship, nurture your relationship, get to a better place in your marriage. And you have an aunt who's been divorced four times, giving you advice. You can love her to death, right? But she's not the right person to give you advice because she hasn't been able to successfully achieve what you're working towards. And this is just a random example, right? This is not shady. But this is an excellent example. You can apply to anything. Yeah, you can take anything like career, business. like So, and it doesn't mean that you fight with these people or you block these people. It just means that you learn to say no and you really be particular about how much energy you spend with these people and instead shift your time, shift your circle of influence to other people, to other resources that can help you achieve what you want to achieve. This is so important. Look at every successful person you admire that you know. They hang out with people like themselves. There is the pictures that you see trending of the billionaires hanging out together. They're hanging out together for a reason because they can stimulate each other's mindsets to get to the next level of where they're trying to go. You're not going to see Bill Gates hanging out with that girl in the mall with the designer handbag and cobwebs in her handbag because she refuses to save money. So the people you surround yourself with are so, so important. Your time is your most valued asset. Your time and your health, those two things, forget the money, right? Money is a byproduct of hard work. Your time, your health, right? If you have good health, you can do anything. Your time is a limited resource. You'll get it back. You want to be mindful of who you spend, who you give this resource to. They're not helping you grow. They need to be spending less time with these people, especially if you're serious about accomplishing your goals. Yeah, I'm very particular about who and what I let in my space and in my spirit and that spirit part girl yeah anyone that you're spending time with they have the opportunity to speak life or death into you Mm -hmm. they really do and if you're hanging out with people who are fearful of finances right they're scared to invest they're scared they they're scared about real estate they're scared about this they're scared about that You can love them to death, but that fear is going to jump into your spirit. And even when you think you're ready to take the risk, you're going to hear all that conversation. And these are well-meaning people who even may want to protect you. But if you've never done what I'm trying to do, the best thing you can do is say, go for it. And I encourage you, you know what I mean? Like, or I'll be praying for you or something. Like, I can't take advice from people who have never been where I am or where I'm going. Like, I just can't. The only thing I can take is encouragement, but I will not allow 
people who haven't done it to discourage me before I even start. And I think that's what really holds so many people back. Yeah. Man, Bola, I could talk to you all day. You are like, <laughs> like sister girlfriend. Okay. So before I let you go, let's do these rapid wisdom questions. So I'm going to ask you a few things. Just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. How do you define success? Peace of mind. Oh, good. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Being happy in my spirit. Oh, that's a lot of words. <laughs> three words or less, Bola. <laughs> oh my God, this is so hard. I feel like I'm on TV, one of those game shows. Okay, repeat the question, Patrice. <laughs> uh, how do you define wealth in three words or less? Being happy. Being happy. Good. You got it down. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? The first book I read on money, Smart Woman Finish Rich by David Back. Yes. I read that book too back then. That was first one of ever my, book. my top two. Yes. I love it. A book for women, for women by a man, but it's okay. Yeah, but it was good. It we was fixed good. that. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. And I, it's so funny. I'm glad you said that because I noticed that there are different parts in your book where we had the same philosophy. And I think some of it definitely came from learning yeah. from David Bach. He's I awesome. love that. It makes sense. All right, cool. <laughs> now fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Bola Shokubi. And for me, the truth about wealth is that without effort, you can't succeed. Now that was a first. That's good. That's good, Bola. It's hard work. It is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Well, you guys, you got to pick up a copy of Bola's book. We're going to link to it in the show notes and how you can follow her on Instagram. She has such an amazing community, amazing podcast. As a matter of fact, Bola, just tell them where they can follow you now. So just head over to clevergirlfinance.com or Instagram, Clever Girl Finance, or search Clever Girl Finance, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you will find everything Clever Girl Finance. And shout out again to the original Clever Girl, Mama Emily. I am. Yeah. Mama M. <laughs> yes. Bola, thank you so much. I enjoyed our time together. I know this episode is going to be a blessing to this series, and I just appreciate you. I'm always cheering for you. I'm always rooting for you. And I am so glad that we are in this space together. Thank you, Patrice. I'm honored. All right. What did you think? Bola's the bomb, right? I truly, truly love the part, again, about just creating the alternative. How do you set yourself up in order to win with these personal finance goals that you're setting for 2020? How can you create the alternative and, you know, include the rewards? But before we can get to rewards, let's just focus on planning ahead so we can avoid some of those money traps that we often fall into. So I will make sure that I link to all of Bola's contact info. You can find her, though, when you look for Clever Girl Finance on all platforms. Hit her up. Let her know that you heard about her right here on Redefining Wealth. I'd love to hear from you and our Purpose Chaser community. That's at IamAPurposeChaser.com. We'll be discussing this episode, any aha moments that you had. Also on social media, I'm at SeekWisdomPCW. All right. And I'd love to hear what you thought. So until next time, when we're back for the fourth and final installment in the Courageous Money series, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. 